I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. And welcome to this week's episode of Biz Talks. I'm Kim Singletary, the managing editor of Biz New Orleans Magazine. And on July 11th, my guest today, Dr. Avis Williams, made history by stepping on the job for her first day as the first woman in the 181-year history of NOLA Public Schools, the public school district of Orleans Parish, to serve as its permanent superintendent. The district oversees 72 public schools right now that serve approximately 43,000 students in the area. Superintendent Williams comes into the role with more than 20 years of experience as an educator, serving as a teacher, a principal at the elementary, middle school, and high school levels, and most recently as the superintendent for Selma City Schools in Alabama, and that was over the past five years. In those five years, she successfully increased the district state report card by eight points from 68 to 76, which is the equivalent of raising it by a full letter grade. She also increased their graduation rate by 6%, reading scores by 6%, and math by 8%. Among the accolades she received for her work uh, included being named a finalist for the 2019 Alabama State Superintendent of the Year and being chosen as the 2020 Alabama Black School Educators Superintendent of the Year. She's uh, very big into advocacy and community involvement. And I'm gonna stop now and introduce her. Hi, Dr. <laughs> Lee, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Always excited to share and connect with the community. Yeah, so that, that's a big part of what you do. We'll just kind of jump right in. It's your big focus is this advocacy and community involvement. And you're the, it started out, I was watching last night, you're starting with these 20, what you call ABC tours. So Dr. Avis's beignets and conversations. Yeah. Um, and you're, so you're getting out into the community. Um, and I know the first one was in the, in the lower ninth ward. Um, yes. Talk. I guess let, let's talk. Let's start there. We'll talk a little bit about what your your hundred day plan. Your first three months on the job. What are you looking to do? Yeah, absolutely. So one big thing that you just mentioned is the ABC tours, uh, and we're doing at least twenty of those throughout the community. And some of them will be aimed at specific stakeholders like the business community, our faith-based community, uh, but most of them are just general community meetings where I am reviewing the 100-day plan, but also giving community members an opportunity to engage, you know, ask questions. Um, the plan itself does include some key questions that I ask, um, but I also uh, really encourage uh, community members and participants to, you know, bring their own thoughts and questions as well. It's uh, aligned with my core values, which are equity, excellence, and joy. And uh, during those meetings, I also just highlight briefly some of the, the ways that I want to infuse equity, excellence, and joy um, in the work in this first 100 days. And the one thing that I emphasize is that it's, it's literally just that 100-day plan. So this is just um, giving an introduction to me and showing uh, the areas of focus for those first uh, few months on the job. And it's not intended to be all exhaustive and it's certainly not going to capture all of the work that needs to be done as, as we move forward um, uh, through the school year. 
So we'll, we'll back up for just a second. So what, I mean, it sounds like things are going super well in Selma for you. What, what brought you here? Yeah, so, you know, the, the average superintendent um, stays usually no more than about three years. And, you know, I've seen statistics that are less than three years now. So I felt uh, it was a blessing to be in Selma for five years and I enjoyed it immensely. Um, and, and, you know, that that community was just so loving in terms of how, how they wrapped their arms around me and, and the team and the work that we were doing. Um, and I just reached a point as I entered that fifth year um, to where I wanted to spread my wings and try um, just to, to explore um, a different setting. Um, I'm an adrenaline junkie, which you may have read. Um, yes. Love a challenge. I love working, first of all, with communities where where you've got our black and brown babies and um, where their needs are being prioritized or need to be prioritized. Um, yeah. I love the culture here. I love the focus on equity that's already here. Um, and I love the, the community itself in terms of the connectivity. You know, New Orleans is obviously bigger than Selma, but, but it still has a lot of, um, I don't, I don't know if I want to say small town feel, but just community feel, you know, where yeah. when I'm in the communities, I don't feel like I'm in a huge city. I feel like I'm in a community, um, which is the type of work that I love doing. Grassroots, where you're able to meet people, look them in the eye, and really uh, making sure that we're meeting the needs. And again, with the focus on, on our, our children of color, um, because I do know that education um, is a lifesaver for many of our families and children, and I just want to be a part of it improving that um, right here in, in um, Orleans Parish. Yeah, I mean, like you said, so this is, we're about, what, 15 times larger than Selma. Wait, you're looking at, Selma was 10 schools, we're 72, they were right. 2,800, we're 43,000. So this Absolutely. is, I mean, you just jumped into this <laughs> yeah, yeah. big role. Um, what, the other big difference is, is the role of a superintendent in Selma versus here. We have a, a very different setup and I don't know if everybody knows that. What, how does, how does that differ here? It's definitely different. You know, we're um, all charters. Um, and so you know, my role is basically leading um, NOLA public schools as the authorizer for charter schools. And, you know, with that being the case, we, of course, have an accountability framework where we work directly with school leaders and, you know, just to ensure that they have the supports and resources that they need, that they are following um, district policies as well as state law. Um, and so, you know, the work of the authorizer is certainly different than uh, what we would typically see in um, a traditional school district. So do you think that will make things a little bit more of a challenge that it's, you're working with independent schools that are kind of running themselves and then you're, does it give you in a way kind of less power? Like how, how is this, is this more of an impediment or do you see this as just a different opportunity or? Well, I, I, you know, I can see it in both ways sometimes. It just depends on what the specific issue is. Um, you know, so our school leaders, of course, uh, are, are, like you said, operating schools independently with autonomy to do so. 
but there's also the accountability piece. And so I do look at it as definitely different in terms of how I engage with schools. So, you know, one of the main examples is I'm not hiring teachers, you know, and right. you know, my, my HR department is, is not looking at talent the same way that I would if I was in a traditional school district. Um, you know, we're not selecting the curriculum or the resources of the professional development, um, you know, and that's, and that is very different for me. And especially with my love for all things curriculum and instruction, um, you know, that, that part is absolutely very different. Um, but the one thing that remains the same and constant is overseeing a district and ensuring that we're having um, the resources, the supports uh, that we need to improve education for our scholars. Um, and that's the primary focus, um, even as an authorizer, that's what we're aimed at doing. Um, and then one of the things that has come up on a number of occasions in the ABC tour meetings and in conversations I've had um, is about the, the, the power or lack of that people may see um, that the Orleans Parish School Board has or that I have as superintendent. And um, during one of my recent cabinet meetings, we were discussing Act 91, which is the governing um, legislation over um, the, 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 the charter um, network piece um, within the state. And we were talking about the fact that a lot of people don't understand it. You know, a lot of people do ask what power what power do you have and how are you able to um, engage with schools? And so one thing that we talked about doing is, is actually having a few sessions where we unpack Act 91 and you know really get a better idea for everybody to get a better idea of what it actually says in terms of the role of the authorizer, the power uh, that they may have, or if you want to look at the authority that they may have and so forth um, to do the work. Because I do think there are a lot of misconceptions around that that, um, that we can help uncover. So and part of that is you're in charge of the maintenance of the, all the facilities and stuff too. So all the different mm -hmm. schools, yes. Um, which which here is just kind of crazy. It's a, it is. It's a lot. People, <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels like musical chairs. Um, that mm -hmm. you know, people are moving around a whole lot, and and um, there's just a lot of uh, uh, ambiguity there sometimes. Um, so, okay. So let's start. I know NOLA.com just came out with something um, about teachers and the teacher shortage and that it's nationwide and and New Orleans and all of Louisiana is being hit by it. Is there something on your end that are you guys, I'm assuming that's on your radar and is that something that you have dealt with before? Is there any ideas there on, on how to help with that? I mean, a lot of it I'm seeing is like, teacher pay and then just teacher workload and respect and all of that. Yeah, and that's definitely something that I've, I've um, had to work with. Um, you know, I think one of the best things that school districts can do is work with the community to grow our own, work with our schools to grow our own and, you know, build a pipeline of teachers. It takes time. Because, yeah. um, you know, obviously you're you're looking at people having to go through college to get their degree and get their certification ultimately. Um, but in the long run, that's that's something that has shown um, to to improve the, the teacher retention piece. Um, and so we do have some spaces where that's already happening within our school district. And I am interested in creating more opportunities to grow our own, more opportunities to um, look at some of our, our school uh, paraprofessional 
schools, for example, who might want to go back and get their teaching credentials. Um, if someone's in the community and they're looking at changing careers, hey, have you considered being a teacher? Um, and looking for ways to help support them um, financially and otherwise to, to do so. Um, that, that's one thing that, that I've seen work that I definitely think can, can be um, done here, especially with the number of colleges and universities that we already have partnerships with. Um, and the other piece is, is what you said, making sure that they're, they're being paid and yeah. respected. I think the respect piece is as, as important, if not more important than the pay. Um, you know, teachers are the heartbeat of education. We cannot, cannot, cannot do this work without teachers and without effective teachers. Um, and so I do think that as leaders, we have to continue to not only lift them up and empower them, but celebrate the successes that they have and treat them with the respect that they deserve. Okay. Um, and the other part of this, uh, that when I was listening to um, the ABC tour that you did on the 9th, they were talking a lot about the mental health aspects and, mm -hmm. and having two kids, one of them's in school, um, that the pandemic brought. And um, what I was encouraged to see was a really strong focus going forward on the mental health aspects and on dealing with that a lot of children in this area, not even just from the pandemic, but in certain areas of our city deal with trauma and have dealt with trauma all the time and that it affects their learning. It affects, you know, what's going on with them and, and trying to get more support. And you have something going forward at, at NOLA CARES. Yes, yes. And we're excited to launch that this fall. And CARES is our community access to resources and equity, and it will prioritize wellness, mental health, self-care, trauma-informed practices, and, you know, just really making sure that we are sharing the resources that are available and looking where there are gaps, where resources may not be available and may be needed. Um, we want to make sure that we are um, looking at the partnerships that we can establish um, that, and strengthening those that may already be in place, um, but mainly just being able to, to ensure that the awareness is there of what resources we do have, um, but then give our, our community opportunities to learn more about um, wellness and self-care. Within our schools, that also means ensuring that we have spaces where trauma-informed practices are prioritized. Uh, we do have a, a group of schools right now that are in a pilot uh, for trauma-informed practices and uh, many other schools that have robust social and emotional learning programs um, within their schools. Um, and many that have partnerships with social workers who support families um, and um, ensuring that the, the, the homeschool connection is, is also made. Um, and, and, you know, and as we think about wellness, um, it's, it's not just the mental health piece, it's the physical health piece too. Um, right. I'm a runner and I look forward to sharing my adventures in running and I'm a former personal trainer. <laughs> um, and so I also look forward to, you know, working with the community on the physical health piece, the nutrition piece, and how we can make sure that we are taking great care of our temple, our bodies um, that, that um, make us stronger and, as, and for our scholars, uh, make them better learners when, when they're healthy and when, when you know, they are having nutrition, nutritious meals and getting exercise and fresh air and that sort of thing. So that's a, an exciting piece for me because I definitely um, believe in prioritizing wellness and 
Um, you know, our community has been through so much over the years. Um, I also believe in making sure that we are healing uh, from the trauma that that has um, has has happened within many of our our communities and families in um, in our city. So, I mean, we we have struggled for a while, but I have to say that, like, looking at the data, we've done really well post Katrina. Um, and, and we you know we're nowhere near where we need to be but but it has been increasingly going up as far as our test scores and things like that our graduation rates um we got slammed a bit for for the pandemic like everyone yeah. else but yeah. but um but we have been on a, a decent upward trajectory what do we have the resources that we need here and they're just not being um, distributed, at, you know, right? Or are we lacking resources that we need to be working on? Like, I'm just, I guess I'm trying to figure out, like, is there stuff that we need? Or is it just not being used the way that it needs to be used? And when you ask that meaning, like for academic achievement or? Yeah. Well, yeah, because so one of the big issues, New Orleans has so much inequity here. Yes. And it's a very strong, you know, socioeconomic issues, right. which means lower tax base, which means less money for schools and teachers sure. and all of that. So yeah. is that the main issue, how do you overcome that, I guess? Is, it, is it, Do we have resources that maybe we're just not using in the right way that we could use better? Or is it an issue that yeah. we have all these great ideas and we wanna do all this stuff, we just don't have the resources? And that's a great question. And, you know, and I think to, to really be able to answer that would take um, having some some data, you know, just yeah. some, some real clear data um, and maybe even a needs assessment where uh, we're looking at uh, what what our schools have. And in, and, and in saying that in each community, what our schools have, because I, I do want to ensure that as we look at school quality, we're working to to ensure that we have school quality in every community within um, the larger New Orleans um, uh, population. And you know, so so to your point, there are a lot of needs that that um, are being met, and and probably some that we could shore up a bit. Um, it's no secret that student achievement needs to improve, and we've had so many learning disruptions due to COVID nineteen, but also um, we had Hurricane Ida last year, and our my team and I are, are definitely working to um, achieve better outcomes and looking for ways to shore up our school accountability framework to make it more robust. And part of what that will also entail is um, looking at the resources that our, our schools have, um, looking at what type of professional learning they're doing. Um, I'm also uh, wanting to consider national models for examining school quality. And, right. and when you do this, um, you are looking at the resources, you're looking at equity, you're looking at um, gaps and, and opportunity gaps as well as achievement gaps. Um, you know, the Baldrige framework for performance excellence is one that I'm interested in. It's something that I have, have um, been involved with actually for a number of years um, while I was superintendent of Selma, we were the only school district in the state to achieve the level two um, performance excellence award through the Alabama performance excellence program. I saw um, that on there. So what is what does that mean? Yeah, and so what it means is that we had a, a true focus on excellence um, and from our organizational structure to our stakeholder engagement to examining our results and improving um, our results and improving our outcomes. Um, and it's a, it's a framework that's um, designed for 
various organizations, but there's a, um, a module that's specifically for um, education. And so I would definitely be interested in using a model, um, something like that to examine where we are. Um, because you know, to your point, you know, if, if we have gaps, we have to have um, some type of a framework to examine the data and look at what our, our key performance indicators are or what they should be. And, and then just be honest with ourselves on the outcomes that we're getting. Where are we falling short? And what do we need to do to improve those outcomes? So I know, I mean, basically your, your first 100 days and with all these ABC tours, you seem like you're kind of on this like fact finding mission, like you're trying to figure out, you know, okay, what are, you know, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, all that stuff. Just yeah, you, anytime you, you come into a new job, right? You're trying to figure out the lay of the land. Um, but there has to be, your last job with Selma, like you said, I mean, it is, it has some similarities with New Orleans that there, there was um, some socioeconomic issues there. There was violence issues there. Um, they're dealing with a lot of the same kind of problems. So is there anything that I guess that you could share? Because a lot of this is going to be like, you know, I'm going to look at the data and we're going to go forward. But is there stuff that you saw that worked there that you think, okay, I think that that would work here too? Yeah, absolutely. And and the Baldrige Framework for Performance Excellence is one thing around mental health. Um, we ensured that we had um, every guidance counselor uh, armed with a certification for mental health first aid. Uh, we also had a trainer for mental health first aid who could train other people. And in doing so, you know, just being able to be a first responder for first aid, I mean, for um, mental health, you know, just to be able to, to, to look at what some of the needs may be and point families and scholars in the right direction and so forth. Um, so every school had some sort of resource that way? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Um, and then also prioritizing teachers. I talked earlier about making sure that we value and respect our teachers. Um, we, we moved away from faculty um, lounges, teacher lounges to self-care rooms. All of our schools had self-care rooms and spaces where teachers could decompress and you know everything from adult coloring books, lavender scents. Um, we had some um, schools that had community partners that donated um, massage chairs even, you know, but it was just a, a space where teachers could um, relax and an alternative to um, meeting rooms or conference rooms, even if they wanted to bring, um, you know, family members, parents in for um, conferences and that sort of thing. So, you know, that's just a few of the things that worked. And another piece that I'm also looking forward to is lifting up student voice because, you know, we talk a lot about education and we can go on and on and on about challenges and celebrations and what we're doing. And then too often we do that without including our scholars, without lifting up their voices and prioritizing their voices. Um, that's something I did in Selma and it's something I look forward to doing here uh, with a student advisory group, um, doing lunch and learn with our scholars. Uh, we're even looking at having some junior communicators where um, it'll be like a, a junior tech team that'll work alongside our comms team um, so that their voices are being heard. And many of the stories that we're um, sharing with the community will be told through the eyes and the voice of our scholars. That sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I, so I guess my, my last question as we're coming up is um, being biz talk. Um, uh, what are you hoping to get from the business community and how can they get involved? And um, everybody has a vested interest in education here. This is our future workforce. This is our, our future community. 
um, what are you hoping to get from them and, and how can they be a part of this going forward? Yeah, absolutely. And so the, I think the one thing that I know I want to ensure is that um, that that I'm able to share with the uh, business community what we're already doing in terms of workforce development um, around the our career center and looking at our schools that are participating in JAG, which is job. Uh, jobs for America's graduates, um, looking at uh, the credentials and the dual enrollment opportunities that our scholars have. I want to make sure that I'm able to share what we're already doing with our business partners um, and then also give them an opportunity to share with me um, some spaces where they might see some gaps. You know, what are some things that we need to do to ensure that our, our scholars are workforce ready? Um, and then partnering to make sure we're able to do it. Um, you know, we oftentimes hear about the essential skills that um, sometimes workers don't have. Um, and we want to find out more about what some of those skills are for our workforce partners here and how can we work with them to ensure that we are indeed improving workforce development, um, giving our scholars opportunities for internships and apprenticeships and, and, jo and jobs, you know, even as they're in high school, if they're wanting to have part-time jobs and that sort of thing. Um, but the main thing is a, a partnership with our business community, uh, because uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, education is so, so important. And we are a microcosm of the community, um, but we also are a driver for economic development within a, in a community. And I want to make sure that we're doing our part to support workforce development and partner with our business community. Well, I think that sounds exciting. So how, how do people stay in touch with what's going on um, and, and learn about these future ABC tours to come out and have some beignets and, and talk to you? Yeah. Absolutely. Our website, nolapublicschools.com, is the best way to get our information. And I do encourage you to come out because I do not want to eat all these beignets myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a runner and I don't want to run that much. Yeah, no, especially now. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, absolutely. Check our website and we keep it updated. Um, um, any of our social media outlets as well um, will have updates of what's what's to come and recaps of the work that we're doing. Well, it sounds very exciting. And, and I'm always happy to see new people come in with that are fired up and <laughs> and ready to take on the challenges because, you know, it's it's a lot. So. It's a lot. It's a lot. But I'm excited and I'm really ready to connect uh, with the community, build trust and dive in and do some great work for these babies because that's what they deserve. Absolutely. Um, so going forward on the workforce topic, if um, listeners out there have not grabbed a copy of our August issue, the cover is Dr. Calvin Mackey of STEM NOLA, and he's talking about all that he's doing there to uh, deal with equity in, in our community, to get people of color, especially into STEM-oriented fields, into scholarships for college, and, and just working on that um and so he's got his the cover feature for the august issue and the second feature in the issue is about if you're out there and you're wanting to change jobs and you're wanting to get into something that you know is is really strong for the future and is paying well we've got all of these uh options out there to change careers and what's going on at all of our local schools it's a lot easier and a lot cheaper than you'd think 
Um, so pick up our copy of our August issue, or you can look online at bizneworleans.com. We've got it up there too. And thank you so much, Dr. Williams, for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share. Yeah, keep us posted. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.